listening to tjsideways.com podcast. Here is your host, TJ Buckenbarger. Hello, world. After a long, long winter hiatus, the tjsideways.com podcast returns. This edition features Aaron Fry, who holds a number of titles in motorsports, driver, historian, Probably best known in our circles, though, as the operator of the Buckeye Outlaw Sprint Series in the Fast 410 Sprint Car Series. And typical of when Aaron and I get together, we probably talked for 45 minutes before we even hit the record button on this deal. And uh, we kind of covered a lot of ground, though, this time. We started, talked about how he got into racing, a little bit of his driving career, and uh, how the, how he got into the business of starting the various racing series, the Boss and then Racing Series, and then taking over the Fast 410 series. Uh, we did have a couple of little audio drops during the interview, so I apologize to Aaron and the listeners for that. You're going to hear a couple of strange gaps as we get everything fired back up here in the office uh, for the first time since last year. But uh, if you make it through those, it's a really interesting sit down with Aaron as we talk about what he has planned for the 2020 season with both of those series. But before you listen to Aaron, I have to thank our great sponsors, All-Star Performance, Maxim Chassis, and Engine Pro for making this podcast possible. Without further ado, here is Aaron Fry. Former racer, series entrepreneur, I guess that's a good thing, in the winged and non-winged sprint car world, racing historian, Aaron Fry, you wear a lot of hats. <laughs> and, uh, one of the, and you have to be probably one of the most passionate people I know in the sport because literally we were supposed to start this interview about 20 minutes ago. We've been talking off the air the whole time. Exactly. It's easy to... Uh get carried away when you talk out of racing with me i know it's great so so for people that don't know who you are you know there's a, there's quite a few of our listening audience that will know you 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 were a driver at one point but how did you first get into racing and and how long did you drive and when did you get into the series end of things well as a kid growing up um i was actually at my first races still in the womb my mom Oh, Aaron, I think we lost Aaron. Strictly as spectators. You hear me okay? Yeah, we lost you for a second there. Oh, okay. Sorry. No I'll try to stay in one place here. No, I think it was um, me, actually. So. Oh, uh, but my parents, you know, went to the races just purely as spectators. Though. We never went in the pit area, wasn't involved in any race teams, and uh, they took me to the races just too long as a child, and I got that embedded into me, and... Um, told him as a kid that I was going to grow up to be a racer. I think I told my kindergarten class as an icebreaker. We all told what we were going to be when we grew up, uh, among, among other things, as an icebreaker. And uh, I remember other kids saying things like, you know, astronaut or president of the United States. And I remember being smart enough at that age to even think, that's not going to happen, you know, for those kids. But I, I told them I was going to be a race car driver. And uh, when I turned 14, I got my first racing go-kart. And I ran carts until about the age of 22 or 23, sat out a year or two to save up some money, bought a 305 sprint car, ran 305 for uh, two or three years. That was in 1999. I started 305 racing and then graduated on up to the 410s and discovered non-wing racing along the way. And kind of the second half of my 410 career, it was almost exclusively non-wing racing. 
So, but I did both through the years, even ran some pavement back in the day with the 305 winged sprints on asphalt tour. And, and what people don't realize is that 305 deal on the pavement was actually a pretty big deal for a while throughout Ohio. There's a lot of drives in it, drivers, and it actually did tour quite a bit. Yeah, I got to run a lot of neat facilities. I got to run at Mansfield uh, when Mansfield was paved before they even had a wall all the way around the place. And I'll never forget the sensation of going that fast. You know, I was taking a dirt car, a 1989 Gambler, so a 10-year-old car at the time, and we were just lowering it as low to the ground as we could get it, stiffening the right side shocks, and putting pavement wheels and tires on it and going out on the racetrack. I still had a manual steering gear. And Mansfield carried so much momentum, even with a 305. Uh, someone had a radar gun on some of the cars one night, and the fast cars were hitting 145 mile an hour down their straightaways. And it's the first time not only the vacuum was trying to suck the helmet off my head, and I had a little bit of vibration in the steering wheel when I came in and was talking to a couple other drivers about it. I didn't know they were balancing their wheels for high-speed pavement tracks like that. So I'm out there with a 10-year-old dirt car <laughs> with uh, wheels that weren't balanced. You talk about a scary ride around the racetrack. That's about as scary as anything I've had in my life. But I uh, got to run a lot of neat pavement facilities. got to race at um, Midvale Speedway and, of course, Columbus Motor Speedway. Uh, we went over to Anderson, Indiana and raced a few times. I got to run at Killcare. That was a lot of fun because, you know, just seeing unique facilities like that. And, of course, eventually you turned driver and t- took on a role that, for you, wouldn't surprise me. There's a lot of people that wouldn't take on a racing series. They'd be like, oh, I don't want the headache or I don't want to have to deal with it. But knowing that your love for racing history and everything, you in the, you know looking out for maybe the, the what I'd call maybe like the, the weekly racer, the working man's racer, you decided to start the Boss Sprint Car Series. How did you get into starting that group? Well, a couple of things helped lead into it. First off, you know, I loved the wingless stuff. The more I ran sprint cars, the more I realized how uh, much less expensive, more expensive it was to race wingless cars. And Ohio had virtually none of that. Every track here was a weekly wing track. USAC had pretty much quit coming into Ohio. They used to run the little challenge series, the Buckeye Nationals, where they ran four tracks here. That deal had dried up. And, um, I just felt like there was a market. Wingsfield had just opened a few years before and started running weekly non-wing cars, but Wingsfield was still a pretty small facility at that time. And uh, we uh, just made the decision. I I had run with a couple of touring groups that would come and go. Some of these touring groups only lasted a year or two, and I saw the mistakes they made. I mean, some of it was just, you know, I mean, I, it was a deal where I, I knew better even before it happened. I thought, well, this deal isn't going to work, but I'm going to try to support it. And I hate to say it this way, but I learned a lot of lessons from those experiences. And uh, I tried. I learned as much as I could from other people's mistakes. Let's put it that way. And I kind of stockpiled notes and kind of knew what worked and what didn't. And the the main ingredient, I think, that helped me the most is being a racer who came from very humble beginnings. I was pulling a half-ton pickup with an open trailer for the majority of my racing career. Um, so I've... Yeah, unfortunately, we're having some connection issues here. Oh, there we go. At the top looking down. So those guys at the bottom of the pile, they don't even get seen. You know, you know what I'm saying? You know, they only see the big names and the big rigs and, you know, the big money. 
And I've never been that way. I treat every driver. I treat the guy on the open trailer the same as I do the guy that comes in with a, you know, 53 foot long stacker or something. So it's, uh, we treat everybody exactly the same because that's how I wanted to be treated as a racer. And, and you've really built the series. I mean, it's hard to believe we were talking off the air 10 years of this. I mean, has it really been that long? It seems insane when I think about it. It's yeah, this will be our 10th full year with the ball series. Um, yeah, it kind of blows my mind a little bit. It, it, uh, cut into my driving career just a little bit. I had a pretty bad crash down at Lawrenceburg in uh, September of 2017. And it wasn't that, you know, it didn't have the money necessarily, or it didn't have, you know, it was more about not having the time that year. I think I only got to run eight shows because I was already short on the number of three weekends. Then I took on the fast wing 410 series along with boss. And now, like this year, from once we get into the month of May, we have two free weekends from May 1st to the end of September. We only have two open weekends, and it just would be tough. If I got to run a car now, I would have to run weekday events like All-Star Sprint Speed Week or, you know, USAC's Indiana Sprint Week. And then I go there because I've been in a car once or twice a year. You get a real butt kicking. You've got to race every week and stay sharp in order to be good in these sprint cars. Now, we had mentioned you've been doing the boss thing for 10 seasons now, but you mentioned in back there, you've also took on the fast 410 sprint car series. You have a successful series. Boss, highly successful. Tending the garden, everything's going great. Why take on a wing 410 sprint car series? Why, why, when you had one successful group, did you want to try and take on a second? Well, our, our boss series, we've always had the budget racer in mind. We've tried to control the costs the best we can help do that. And it seemed that around a 20-race schedule was all the teams wanted. If we scheduled more races, then you've got to worry about guys having to have a second motor or a third motor ready to go. Um, you know, a lot of times in non-wing racing, you can stretch 20, 25, maybe even 30 nights on a motor and guys could run the whole season, even hitting a few other shows that weren't sanctioned by us with one engine and just rebuild during the winter. Um, to schedule, you know, a 40-race schedule, guys would have to have two or three motors and rebuild during the season, that kind of thing. So we wanted, we knew 20, maybe at the most, 22, 23 races is all boss would ever want to sanction. That leaves us a lot of free weekends, and I knew my time behind the wheel was limited, I didn't want to limit it quite this much. I had planned to race, you know, for another, at least another three or four seasons beyond what I did. Uh, the crash, like I said, kind of helped make the decision to go ahead and, and quit at that time. But the time was right. Uh, the OSCS Sprint Car Series um, down here in Ohio, uh, Brad McCown, the promoter of Atomic Speedway, had a little series that was trying to get off the ground. And it had a few shows you know, down this way, but it was struggling a little bit. And when Brad announced that he was not going to run it back in 2018, we were at the PRI show. This would have been in December of 17, actually. I had just had that bad crash a couple months before. And I told my daughter, and we had, we had talked for years about the possibility of doing some wing racing eventually. And so for 2018, we scheduled a handful, just like we did the first year of Boss, kind of like a little experiment. And we ran them under the Boss name, but we ran some wing events and had very good car counts, very good response from the tracks and the drivers. And then Rich Farmer from Fremont Speedway calls me up and explained he was ready to let Fremont Speedway go to some new promoters, and he owned the Fast Series. 
and Rich Farmer gave me the Fast Series. I always make that very clear with people because Rich, you know, some people some people loved him, some people hated him, but Rich Farmer has been one of my biggest and best allies in this sport. I appreciate him very much. And when I told him, I said, Rich, I don't need to buy your series. I said, I've already got something going on here with a good reputation and good car counts. I said, I really can't afford to pay you what you probably want for it. And he said, no, I'm telling you, I'm giving it to you. So that was a little bit of a shock and a shot in the arm, of course, because Fast had, a, my goodness, 10 or 12 years already under its belt at that point. So uh, obviously it brought along a little bit of sponsorship with us. Rich himself with his Napa Auto Parts store in Fremont has stayed on board. He'll be sponsoring our first heat race every event this year with Fast. And Sorry for the connectivity issues there with uh, Aaron. We're still working through those. He should be back online here shortly. Uh-oh. There you are. I got you. You struggling to hear me again? Yeah, no, that's all right. I got you back on. Okay. Is uh, is, it, is it your connection here, end or is it my connection? Oh, I'm pretty sure it's ours. So that's I, I covered okay. for you. That's okay. I can talk too. So. Okay. <laughs> but go ahead. You're, you're, yeah, yeah. Rich, uh, Rich Farmer, like I said, he... Uh, he gives a shot in the arm. They're giving us the Fast Series, and that brought a little bit of sponsorship money over with it. And we've tried to carry on that tradition, and we pay you know, the biggest and best Fast Point Series point fund uh, in history. And we raised it again this year just a little bit. But we picked up TI-22 as a title sponsor for Fast and MPD Racing as a title sponsor for Boss. So to get both tours with title sponsors this year has been a big plus. Yeah, there's a lot of momentum and. And uh, Aaron, I, I last year you made your series made their first foray up to my neck of the woods. You got in I ninety six speedway last year, and now you and I, you know, we're going to see a lot of each other this year. Yeah, yeah, we um, had a couple of new racetracks get a hold of me here. You know, back in the uh, early part of the winter, and it was a little bit of a shock. I didn't expect to hear from tracks up that way, but. Uh, Hartford Speedway, Tim at Hartford Speedway got a hold of me and was interested in doing a couple of shows. And when you book a Friday night in Michigan, you got to find a Saturday to go with it. And um, we ended up uh, booking with Butler Speedway for some Saturdays. So we're going to do that twice this year and come up and do a little Friday-Saturday combination. Not only that, but the the Boss Series. I've been waiting for this for a long time. Boss is finally going to be in my backyard this year. I ninety six. That's right. I, I'm really, I'm really happy about this. By the way, if you can't tell, we we did the uh, I ninety six with the Fast Series, you know, this past year, and had a really good car count. the uh, The All Star Tour came into Fremont Speedway that night. We had been scheduled for Fremont the, the night before, and rained out. And then we left Fremont, drove through about two hours worth of solid rain on the way to I ninety six, and I'm thinking, wow. With the All-Stars coming into Fremont right behind us and us driving through all this rain, we're going to get our butt kicked on car count tonight. And we get to I-96, and we had 28 sprint cars, and I was pretty happy with that. But I was even happier when I found out that they only had 27 at Fremont that night. So and we had some really good names in the field. Former World of Outlaw racers Joey Saldana and Brian Paulus were with us that night. Of course, Lee Jacobs picked up the win. Of course, our series champion, Cole Duncan, was there you know, in that race. We had a really, really good field of race cars, and a lot of good Michigan cars came in and raced with us that night. We, we discovered a couple of talents that we didn't know was even racing up in Michigan, and uh, some kids ran really good with us that night. So I'm excited to get back up there. 
I've heard very, very good things about both these new tracks we're coming to. So, yeah, three different Michigan racetracks this year on the fast schedule, and one of them getting the boss show this year. And you never know if it goes well with the boss up there. You may see Hartford or Butler get boss shows as well. Man, you're going you know, to be 2021, gonna, of course. Yeah, you have dual residency here in a little bit. <laughs> coming up our way, so you know, you'll, you'll be, I'll be, I'll be going to Lake the beach at Lake Michigan. I'm going to run to Aaron Fry and the family. So, and that's one thing. That's, <laughs> speaking of family, that's one neat thing about your series. Although it's a very family oriented thing, from the race teams and even your own family being involved with the uh, series. Yeah, my daughter has been a major contributor in what I've done. She's been, you know, beside me the whole way, even whenever I was racing. Uh, when she was about 10 years old, she got to be pretty decent at being able to change gears in the race car. And there were some race events I would run. I can remember specifically going all the way to Beckley, West Virginia. It was about a four-hour tow each way from where I was living at the time. And uh, it was me and my 10-year-old daughter. And uh, she made the trip down there and back with me, just the two of us. With the problem we had is on a four-wheeler, she would try to push me out on the racetrack, and she wasn't heavy enough to give the four-wheeler enough traction to push me if there was any kind of an incline. So as she got a little older, 12, 13, 14 years old, you know, some tracks would give us a little bit of a fit about getting her in the pits, but she was a very mature kid, you know, for her age, to be able to handle herself in a sprint car pit area. But she's grown right into the role now. She helps me out with of course, registration and payout in the tower. She can run the race tower as well as I can or better, and she does a fantastic job. And, but, uh, and then, of course, I, I, I didn't ever want to race my own events. Um, did a couple of times on some special occasions, but uh, really tried to stay out of racing myself because I didn't want any appeared uh, conflict of interest. So what does my daughter do? She has to go and marry one of them. One of the racers. <laughs> and, and, and how, how's the role of grandpa doing for you, by the way, you have a beautiful uh, grandkid now I saw. So uh, you have that going on too. So. Yeah. My granddaughter, she'll be two this June and that has changed my life quite a bit. I love it. Uh, there's nothing better than being a grandparent. You get all the spoils of being the parent, but then you get to play the role of, which, okay, now it's time to go back to mom and dad, you know, when they get cranky or whatever. Yeah. So you get to get all the good parts. And, but, uh, but yeah, we, uh, Cody, uh, this year is one of two drivers we know of so far who is planning to do the entire boss tour and the entire fast tour. Wow. Uh, Tyler Gunn, who, um, ran third in fast points last year, he has been so close so many times to winning boss events when he pulls the wing off. He was leading at Fremont with a couple of laps to go and got punted off the end of the racetrack once. Um, he ran second last year at our Oak Shade race. Um, I remember him leading a race at Mansfield that he probably should have won. I can't remember what ended up happening there, but I just remember him leading, thinking for sure he was going to win one there. And uh, so he's decided he's going to do both this year full time. And then my son-in-law, Cody, is also, he's found a little bit of extra help this year to make that happen. He has two complete cars ready to go, and they're getting trying to get a third motor done so they have a spare. And uh, so we've actually rounded up a little bit of sponsorship help uh, all-star performance the guys there uh, helped us round up a little bit of, of help from several other companies uh, like hawk break and um we, we're going to do a little bit of a challenge bonus uh but i haven't even announced that yet so you're kind of hearing it here for the first time but we're going to do a little bit of bonus money to the highest finishing drivers that are in combined points boss oh, wow. combined points that's a neat challenge especially between the two disciplines that's really old school and very awesome so well 
like I, like I said earlier, I was doing that myself. That hurts you a little bit, I think. I mean, I hope these two drivers don't hear me saying this. It may scare them out of it, but I struggled a little bit because I would go run three or four non-wing shows, get better every week. Then I would bolt the wings on and go run a couple of races. I was out to lunch with the wing stuff because I had been doing the non-wing for a few weeks. Then by the time I would get back good in a wing car, I'd go back to non-wing. And it is tougher than people would think. Those who have done it, they'll know exactly what I'm talking about. But, you know, like I said earlier, uh, you, know, you need to race every week to stay sharp. Well, it helps when you're running the same type of race car every week. And dummy me, when I was still toward the end of my 305 and beginning of my 410 career, there was one summer I ran wing and non-wing dirt and ran wing and non-wing pavement cars all in one season. And I also was even driving some modifieds for some people. And it sounds great. It sounds tough. And it, sounds, it's, it was a lot of fun. But sometimes all those different types of race cars can mess you up a little bit. You know, you forget certain things or not. I won't say you forget them, but you just get out of the rhythm of them. And uh, so that's one thing that kind of hurt me a little bit. So that's part of why I want to do this challenge deal and pay a little extra money to these guys. Because I love the old school feel of the guys who will go your way, you know, wing or non-wing like that. And you, so, but and maybe you, if I get a few pavement tracks involved, maybe we can even put them on the pavement and see who's really good. There we go. And now, and speaking <laughs> of old school, you're a very old school guy. A lot of people might know, not know this about you, but uh, you, you're very into like race, like almost ghost tracks. That maybe there's just the outline of the racetrack left, or maybe a place that had maybe just a handful of races early, like in the like 40s and 50s, and, and have gone by the wayside. But you also own this antique midget. And I thought one of the coolest things about it is you had to get the photo looking like back, you know, like over the tail <laughs> take. Like, it was the first thing I noticed, like, oh my word, he got the picture, like the picture everybody took back in like the midget racing heyday. Yeah, that's, uh, they always, the driver would always peer either over his left shoulder or his right shoulder, and they would get the tail tank of the car, and then, of course, one of the rear tires. And uh, that was kind of a tradition back in the day. So we tried to take that same picture, and there was a lot of people at this little racing festival over at Pennsboro, West Virginia, which was a very popular racetrack back in the day. And that little car raced and won there at Pennsboro in 1947-48 in those years. Um, but every angle of the picture the girls got that day, there was somebody photobombing in the background that either had on a modern T-shirt or a uh, cell phone in their hand. So the picture we posted there, if you look closely, you can tell it's a modern picture. But we did it in black and white to give the effect, and boy, people really loved that photo. Yeah, that is pretty neat. It's pretty neat that you got to run that car. Were you amazed it? Honestly, were you amazed it started when you fired it um, up the first yeah, time? Yeah, we we didn't have to do a whole lot to it. We had the magneto rebuilt. That was the first thing we did. Um, I did. We did pull the motor apart. A guy named Emmett Beeler, who was actually one of the inventors of the wedge light model, Charlie Swartz. We had to get new plugs and plug wires, you know, that kind of stuff. I had to find a radiator cap that fit it because the radiator cap was missing. The radiator was out of an old-time uh, semi-truck from back in the 40s. And a lot of tractor parts and things like that on spindles. But this little car was built in the very late 30s and into the early 40s. It was built right before World War II. And the way we found it was 100% intact even had his helmet and goggles in the in the driver's seat, uh, still dirt on the car from the last race it ran, and uh, even got his trophies and everything with it. But uh, it's 
so original, I hate to even change stuff. There's some things that probably need to be updated on it, and I don't want to change them because I want it to stay 100% time period. It hurt me to have to put new tires on the rear, <laughs> but the old tires on the rear were dry rotted. I couldn't run them. So uh, anyway, we've kept it as absolutely original as we possibly can. It has no seat belt and no roll bar, and when you hit ruts in a racetrack at even – 45 mile an hour with no seat belt trust me your rear end comes six inches out of the seat when you hit that stuff wow. so how those boys did it with no seat belt back in the day i guess the steering wheel and my knees helped me in the race car pretty good but uh i got it up to about 60 65 maybe 70 mile an hour down the straightaways at pennsboro and we did go over everything real well making sure everything was tight and everything you know there were no hairline cracks anywhere uh, but I did not have most of the parts magnifluxed. And looking back, I was probably a little crazy. We're going to be a little more careful with it this year. But those little cars, technically, they're still just as dangerous today as they were then. And if you know your history, you know how many people were hurt and killed in those cars. So I want to be a little more careful with it. But the racer in me kind of comes out when I get behind the wheel. And you just want to go a little bit faster and a little bit faster every lap. <laughs> Indeed. So, Well, Aaron, if people want information on Fast and Boss, where can they find it? Um, fastondirt.com and buckeyesprints.com. You can find this. Our two websites. Of course, we're on Facebook, Twitter, um, even have an Instagram account for both series now. We have a young lady named Morgan Miller that works with us um, alongside helps my daughter with registrations and payouts, and she handles the uh, some of the social media. Uh, I do the Facebook, but she does the Instagram and the Twitter. And um, we uh looking forward to getting this year started. we got a couple other people going to come on board with us and help us. Robert Penrod, who was flagging at Eldora, um, I need to find out for sure. But I think he's going to be with us at pretty much every event this year in 2020. So, so we'll have some extra extra help back in the pit area. So, uh, yeah, we've, we've got things looking uh, probably um, the best we've been set at the beginning of a race season. We have a 40 races, 20 for each series title sponsors for both divisions um you know like i said i don't think we've gone into a march this well prepared uh, and it's well funded so we're looking forward to great things this year all right well aaron it's been great to sit down and talk to you we'll have to do this again sometime because like 25 30 minutes is not nearly enough for us we'll have to do this again <laughs> exactly yeah there's more to talk about so anytime anytime right. get on that's gonna do it for this edition of the tjslideways.com podcast I'd like to thank Aaron Fry for his time to discuss the upcoming season for both of his racing series. I know I don't do this as often as you probably like, but try to leave me a review on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or Podbean, or even subscribe so when the random occasion does pop up, I have time to do in this podcast, you'll know when we publish it. But until then, we'll see you at the racetrack. Good night, everyone. Thank you for listening to the TJ Flyway Podcast.